Hello, welcome to Chapter 12 of Crimes Against Christmas by New Old Friends. I'm Heather Westwell. And I'm Fergus Woods Dunlop. We hope you're enjoying our advent calendar for your ears. As we approach the midpoint of the story, Artridge is still stranded on Richenstan Island for another two nights, and there have been three deaths. Oil man Jeff Drummer found inside an oil drum, Betty the cook murdered in the kitchen, and Don Crimine, an Italian criminal, falling to his death from the roof. No! Split. <laughs> the other guests have convinced themselves all is okay, but Artridge isn't so sure. Let's find out if he's right. Chapter 12. Dance till you drop. I replaced the lid, closed the door on the gruesome cupboard of corpses and leaned heavily against it, recovering my breath. Neither of the staff offered anything by way of support, physical or emotional. Missy was mutely working a broom over the cold flagstones, whose sparkling sheen told of a recent scrubbing. I wondered if it was Butler who had taken the task of cleaning Betty's blood after the Duke had dealt with the body or if he delegated it to his catatonic assistant. If eyes are indeed the windows to the soul, the maids were sporting the sort of sign one sees in a seafront boarding house advertising a vacancy. They were totally free of animation. Two glazed domes sat in their place as her petite shoulders swung the broom independent of ocular support. She was wearing the same uniform as yesterday, but small differences told the story of her inner turmoil. Her white collar had one flap half caught by the neck of her simple black dress, and while at a glance her white apron was perfectly ordinary, if one looked a little closer, the stitching of the hem was visible. She'd put it on the wrong way round. Butler, meanwhile, had one gloved hand pressed onto the worktop, a great hunk of polished wood, and the other was naked as he employed his nail to scratch at the surface. Maybe there was still some evidence of Betty's death he was picking at, or perhaps he'd gone full Lady Macbeth and would forever be trying to get that damned spot out. If his mind was in such an untidy state, it didn't show in his outward appearance, though. I was amazed at how well turned out he still was. His uniform remained neatly pressed and in perfect order, with the exception of his temporarily denuded hand. I, on the other hand, was not looking as sharp as I would like. In my haste to get dressed this morning, I'd paired last night's dinner jacket with a heavier cotton shirt and tweed trousers. It was not a good look, and perhaps explained why I hadn't received quite the respect I wished in the parlour earlier. It was so horribly mismatched an outfit, I shouldn't wonder if the others hadn't considered me to be, if not on a par with Missy, at least a little mentally off-kilter and so worthy of suspicion. I resolved to reassert my command of the situation by first heading back to my room, sorting out my outfit and having a quick wash. I hadn't actually touched the oil, but still felt like my body was coated in the slick residue of death. I planned to get changed into a more sombre, but no less stylish ensemble befitting the situation, and gather everyone back together once more to put a proper plan of action into place. I'd just started making my way towards one of the exits, when the Duke hobbled into the kitchen, making much use of the cane I'd seen for the first time earlier this morning. His movement had deteriorated considerably from when I first met him, Granted, he was hardly leaping like a gazelle last night, but he was moving relatively freely without aid. Now he was making his way around like a three-legged crab. Was the erosion of his ambulatory capabilities linked to his own emotional distress? His garb told me nothing, dressed again as he was in a cacophony of patterns, colours and textures. I didn't have the foggiest idea how such items were supposed to be worn. I had my doubts that certain elements were intended to be worn at all, so I couldn't infer anything from his choice of clothes. If he was suffering from fear or even guilt, it didn't show in his words either. What the bloody hell is going on in here? 
Why is she sweeping a perfectly clean floor? She's just in a bit of shock, sir, said Butler, pulling his glove back on and straightening up. Shock? We're all in bloody shock. But we pay our staff to look after us and we need looking after, don't we? My son-in-law and that Russian one have decided all is hunky-dory and they want to get on with the party. But I'm worried. So, there was something gnawing away at his resolve within all that fabric. This would be interesting, I thought. You're worried, Your Grace? Do you not agree with Lord de Planis's assessment of the situation? I threw the question out as lightly as I could. In the same way one would ask if he disagreed with the club treasurer gambling away funds earmarked to pay for a new billiard table. Rischenstein's head whipped round, noticing me for the first time. His eyes matched the floor, both in colour and warmth. He stepped towards me, interestingly, without using the cane. He could still imbue his sinewy frame with strength enough just through sheer force of will. Artridge, didn't see you there. Don't expect bloody guests to be skulking in a scullery, eavesdropping on private conversations with my staff. It's embarrassing. You needn't be embarrassed, Your Grace, I reassured him. These are trying times for all of us. What is it that particularly worries you? Do you suspect someone other than Criminet is responsible for the deaths? What are you blathering on about? Of course it was Criminet. The grey eyes blinked, and he shook his head slightly. If this was an act of confusion, it was a convincing one. What are you bloody doing in my kitchen, anyway? I wanted to see Drummer's body. What the devil for? It was a fair question, and one for which I didn't have a ready answer. When Butler had announced that Drummer had been found, I was compelled to confirm it for myself. Just my natural curiosity as a top-notch investigator, I suppose. As I thought about it, I began to think that the bigger question was why nobody else had followed. I decided to answer with a straight bat and look to steer the conversation back to what I wanted to know. In truth, I, I'm not sure, Your Grace. Curiosity, I guess. If it's not impertinent, can I ask what it is that is worrying you, if not the murders? If not the murders. So casual a phrase to fall from my lips. Again, I marvelled at our species' ability to come to terms with any new reality presented to us. Three untimely deaths, and here we are talking about it quite calmly. I could have been saying if not the scones, for the amount of passion and gravitas I gave the words. But I report back to you the situation as it was, and beg your understanding for any perceived lack of respect. Rishtenshan stroked his jaw and looked at Butler. If there was anything of note which passed between them in this look, it was lost on this investigator, as Butler's expression remained attentively passive throughout. Maybe worried is too strong a word. All I meant was, the bloody party's back on and I'm concerned. Yes, that's it, concerned. Concerned that bloody Deplanus might start splashing around the good plonk. It's just the sort of thing that cretin would do. Bring out my expensive booze in an effort to distract Lucy from the fact that his train wreck of a party has seen two guests die. Plus the bloody cook. So I wanted to make sure Butler here brought plenty more booze up and some food, but to stay away from the good stuff. The old bugger at least had the decency to look a little embarrassed by his pettiness. When he finished speaking, he briefly looked at his feet, but then quickly decided that was enough humility and grabbed up his cane and waved it in Butler's face. So be sure that you do. Get that bloody maid to stop sweeping and start serving. If we can keep him occupied up there, we can save the Macallan. Ooh, are these eggs hard-boiled? He gestured at a large silver serving bowl filled with glistening white eggs without shells. Butler took the order and the non-secateur in stride. 
Yes, sir. Without Betty, I thought a simple breakfast might be best. I'm also hopeful there may be some toast on the second try. I plan to serve the eggs on top with a touch of salt. Good. With his free hand, the Duke snaffled an egg and made his way crab-like back out of the kitchen nibbling on it. I followed his lead by taking an egg myself. I'll just grab one now, Butler. I'll be back down presently. Would you mind bringing everyone together? I, I think it's best we talk about this as a group. I just want to wash off the, um... I waved a hand in the vague direction of the impromptu mausoleum. Butler nodded his understanding. Quite so, sir. I hope you don't mind me observing, but I did notice you were dressed both for dinner and a shoot. You must have had quite the active morning, sir. Was that a little smirk returning to the face of this scoundrel? Was he insinuating something, inferring nefarious deeds based upon my attire? I'd half a mind to set him straight there and then with a good dressing down. But at the same time, I really rather wanted to get as far away from that cupboard as possible, so I took my egg and headed out of the kitchen into the warren of service corridors. Back in the safety of my room, I removed my mismatched clothing. As I took off last night's jacket, I noticed a weight in the inside pocket. It was my hip flask. By now I was regretting eschewing the chance of a little scotch an hour or so earlier, so gratefully brought its silver teat to my lips. The whisky was cheap. I'd brought it with me, after all, and no match for even the special guest's reserve, which I was under no illusions would be something the Duke considered swill. But after what I'd endured this morning, it could have been the very milk of ambrosia that was burning its way down my gullet and warming my stomach. I partook heavily to brace myself for a cold shower and scrub, then partook again to warm myself afterwards, and carried on partaking throughout dressing until my faithful flask had nothing left to par-give. Some people would have you believe the Scottish whisky was invented because there are miserable people and needed something to take the edge off. I would counter that the Scottish are, in fact, a happy and gregarious people for whom the delights of plentiful and ready access to whisky have rendered sobriety an unbearable ordeal. In this, I empathise with my Caledonian brothers and sisters, and I was feeling much more positive in my outlook with a few wee drams inside me. With these fraternal feelings for our northern neighbours fresh in my bosom, it struck me as appropriate that my outfit for the day was Harris Tweed. I managed to select the full suit this time, jacket, vest and trousers, all cheviot wool with the distinct herringbone pattern in traditional earthy tones, but with the occasional perpendicular threads of bright red running through it for interest. I picked out the accent with a red silk handkerchief in my breast pocket and left my neck unadorned and open-collared. It was, in my humble opinion, a festive enough outfit for a Christmas Eve party without being too loud to be offensive to the memory of the departed. It was so attired that I made my way back down the gracefully curving stairs, past a tasty little jasper vase at the top, which I really must take a closer look at. Maybe Duplanus was right. All the horridness is over, and it would be best for us all to relax into our remaining time here and do our utmost to enjoy it. Give the trip a sporting chance at a phoenix-like recovery from social disaster and all that. I endeavoured to frame my thoughts in a positive manner, and was greatly aided in my efforts by the prospect of trying to coax some of the old Duke's Macallan from smug little butler. The group had fully assembled in the Great Hall, and there was a pretty decent hubbub going on. Michelle, Turtle and Father Vickers were busy helping themselves to the late breakfast butler and Missy had cobbled together. There were the boiled eggs, neatly sliced and dressed in a pinkish sauce, rounds of golden toast, some good thick bacon and a mound of sausages glistening like the jeweled innards of some mythical beast served upon a silver salver. I may be no gourmand, but I had to say hats off to the pair of them for pulling this feast out of the bag. 
The food wasn't the only thing being liberally shared. Butler was circulating at pace, whirling like a Viennese biscuit, trying to keep all the glasses topped up well above any level that might inspire philosophical debate. There was music playing from somewhere. Lord and Lady Duplanus were dancing an awkward two-step off to one side, and Fuctofino, aided by the aforementioned powers of good scotch, had even persuaded the old duke to take a spin around the room with her. I joined the two young lovers and the priest at the food, and got the old nosebag going myself. Always best to get when the going's good is one of the many mottos of the Artridges. I floated a few vague suggestions out to test the waters, but all three seemed to have accepted the prevailing sentiment that everything was rosy in the garden once more. The conversation turned to light-heartedly commenting on the different dance styles of the two couples on the floor. The Duplanuses danced as if confined in an invisible two-metre square with the shared goal of finding out how far one could place one's body away from your partner without breaking hold. Whereas, if the princess and the duke were doing any kind of formal number, it certainly wasn't one I recognised. He appeared to have simply substituted her for his cane and was leaning heavily into his partner, while she, for her part, seemed not to mind and was merrily conveying him up and down the length of the table, pausing each time she passed her glass to reach out a hand and quaff another inch or two of vodka. Now, I've an affinity for alcohol just like any red-blooded sporting sort of chap, but I'd never seen drinking like this. Even my club's wettest old soak, Gilbert J. Farrell, would have been impressed, and he once managed to see off a tot of rum for every tea sounded by our club chairman, Stuart Stutters Utworth, at his end-of-year address. It was therefore no surprise when Fuctofino abruptly pulled up in the middle of her dancing and announced she did not feel well. It was rather more of a shock when she grasped her throat and collapsed in front of us all, her face turning the same shade of deathly purple I'd seen on Betty earlier that day. Of course, everyone rushed to her aid. Lady Duplanus thought she might have something caught in a windpipe, so started performing abdominal thrusts so vigorously it made Father Vickers blush, despite the horror of the situation. Duke Richtenstein shooed his daughter away and tried to give the princess the kiss of life, but it was all too late. Everyone backed away towards the walls, eyeing each other warily. We all now knew Criminet was a victim, and the killer was still very much at large. It was also clear that, unless I'd been lying earlier about Tiffy Iotis or any other unknown inhabitants of the Isle of Richtenstein, the murderer was one of the nine people stood in the Great Hall. The record ran out. Nobody moved. The rhythmic scratching of the needle on wax amplified the silence which nobody was prepared to break until Missy declared, She stood upon the balustraded balcony, inexplicably mimicking him hiccuping and amicably welcoming him in. As eulogies go, it was unusual to say the least, but it broke the spell and people began to exit, all hurrying away from the body except Butler, who gestured for Missy to grab the legs and between them they carried Fuctifino out. I knew they were headed toward the kitchen and my least favourite four square feet on the planet, the Pantry of Death. There goes the princess. Not the worst way to die on the island, though. Hammered and dancing. As ever, please do share and subscribe. And if you want to donate the cost of a coffee or similar to the company, there's a link on our website where you can. See you next time. <laughs>